Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. FA Cup fourth round hysteria sweeps the AFC squad, but we're still not as excited as the wonderful market town of Shrewsbury, where a two-all draw with Liverpool means a glamorous trip to Anfield to play against some children. Ah, the magic of the FA Cup. It's possibly the dullest transfer window on record. Will it start to get a little bit more interesting in the final week? Plus, are Manchester United and West Ham broken? Is Erling Haaland going to score 300 goals this season? A big argument about Antonio Conte and the finest examples of poor sportsmanship from you and our team. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined, as I tend to be, by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm good. I got top billing. Yeah. <laughs> I like to I like to move it around. Do you now? Yeah. I thought because Matt's back, he'd get it, but I'm good, thanks. And you? Yes, very well indeed. Spoiler alert: It's Matt Law alongside. I, I me. never deserve top billing ever. Oh come on, mate! Oh, bottom you're so billing, modest. <laughs> bottom billing. After the broadcast weekend you've had, you'd be you'd be top billing anywhere. Am I allowed to mention that? Yeah, Matt had a star turn on. On, um, the Sky Sports show Sunday supplement. So the challenge is now is not to just say in the exact same words everything I said yesterday well, give on the, that. Give the West Ham fans what they want, Matt. What more? More, more fury. Yeah. Completing our lineup. JJ Bull, how was your weekend, JJ? Uh, it was very nice. I live blogged lots of games, but I did it from home, which is just the oh. best. Oh, oh no! God, I love doing it. Don't tell people that. That will ruin the whole illusion of did it. You... Wait, is it the best? Uh, my, sorry, my home is a state football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in your pajamas or no. dressing gown? No, I, it, do, do it professionally. You've got to be ready to to yeah. work. You, yeah. you take your top off at half time, but you do that in the office anyway. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. That's why I don't come into your <laughs> Let's start by talking about the FA Cup weekend. I spent the whole weekend waiting for a big standout result in the FA Cup fourth round, which resolutely refused to come until Shrewsbury saved us at the end with a fantastic fight back against Liverpool, earning the draw. What did Shrewsbury have, JJ, that every other Premier League team hasn't had this season? How did they manage to get back into this game and get an amazing result? Uh Weirdly with Liverpool, so the young players they had, it wasn't the it wasn't the first choice Liverpool team, obvious, but a lot of Premier League teams swapped the things around. But even like I mean, Man United kinda played a weaker team, but they didn't have all these youngsters, and not all of Liverpool's ones look great. There's a couple of them that are, are okay in that team, but not all of them did very well. Weirdly, uh, Lovren and Matip and Fabinho had absolute shockers, uh, really poorly organised, making little mistakes all over the place. And that kind of helped youngsters next to them, who then were, I mean, they used to be the ones who were confident and good on the ball, but they weren't. And Shrewsbury, or Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury? I don't know this. I've been to Shrewsbury. I went there when I was, well, as I still am, trying to get to the 92 league grounds. Yeah. And I spoke to a lot of people about it. It seems like if you're a bit posh, you say Shrewsbury, but most of the people, a small majority say Shrewsbury, but the, the overall impression was they don't mind. You could say either. Okay, is I'm is do both the then. mascot a shrew as well? 
It's a lion. Isn't it a lion? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just making that up because then it might have clinched it. It's not a shrine. Yeah, wasn't that the liner at the end of like Match of the Day? It was like taming the shrew or something. Yeah. I would know that if I'd watched. T- I mean, it's a taming by the shrew, if anything, isn't it? Not a taming yeah. of the shrew. Maybe if, yes. they, if they were associated with shrews, they played like lions in this game. Yeah, nicely oh, And came back into that. it. But they were, they were excellent the second half. Like, I was so impressed. They they, they pushed higher up the pitch. So they let in this... Oh, and they scored... They conceded an own goal to start of the second half. What Donald, a finish as well. <laughs> Donald Love. <laughs> Donald Love, ex-Man United. He wouldn't have enjoyed that. And... Uh, but they, they pushed higher up the pitch and the uh, guy Josh Lauren I was so impressed with him in midfield kept driving through the middle did really well and then they put on Jason Cummings who is I don't know if you've come across him before he's absolutely mental uh, well known for being a proper dressing room joker he took like a travel adapter to Wales he didn't realise <laughs> that he didn't oh, need so yeah he's, he's daft but he's funny and uh, he Scottish came Scottish too right? Yeah, yeah, he, he was. He came Your through hero. at Hibs. He did really well at Hibs for a while, and he went to, I think, to Nottingham Forest. That's right. They thought he'd do quite well in um, down down south, but uh, he's not. He's just mad. It's really. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much of it is that, that he's clearly a very talented player. He's really quick. Plays off the shoulder of the last man. Gets in the right places, but does everything on intuition. And I wonder if is he teachable though? How old is he? <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I mean, teachable in terms of I don't know. Uh, he's he's Cause he such a, a weird creature. Yeah, but what, I mean, if you told him something, he'd sort of look at you, and then you'd in the background. You know, when you see Homer Simpson is actually thinking about circus animals. That's pretty much what Jason uh. Cummings is doing the entire time. Anyway, but yeah, they just were really, they were just really great, and they deserved to win it. I, he was, took his goals fantastically. Yeah. He seemed to be playing with real swagger and sending the keeper, doing the keeper with his eyes twice almost, didn't he, with the penalty? Where and, did the crown come from? The pictures that are today. Where did that crown come from? Oh, I'm not sure. Someone in the crowd might have had it, it for him. He might have had There's it. There's loads of pictures shorts. of him with a crown, the King of Shrewsbury. Oh, Fantastic nice. pictures. Maybe someone came in with the tiara or something. It's not a tiara type yeah. crown. It's, it's a full on kind of sturdy crown. I like his nickname. Maybe it's Lion King. Cummer. No, it's Cum Dog, is his name. I think they're all terrible. <laughs> Sorry, very childishly. I couldn't keep that in. <laughs> Shall we talk about Jurgen Klopp, who doesn't really seem to be going for this competition this year? He's already said he's going to play the kids in a replay. He said he's not even going to manage the team. I think in that's a disgraceful. Oh, yeah. no, it's not. Come on. Not managing them? No. How's that not disgraceful? I think, it's really I think funny. it is disgraceful That's because really everyone deserves a break in that. No, you, no Why I don't Jürgen think so. Klopp because not he's need right. To he's right. They said to him in during the break, respect the break, you know, like, and you, you saw that he threw on Salah, he threw on people to try to hopefully win this game and not have to do this I've again. I've got no problem with him playing his kids. You, I've never got a problem with managers doing that. You've got a squad, you've got kids, we want young players to get chances. Fine, absolutely fine. Why is he not managing them? Because he's got to prepare for for winning the world, the all the stuff again, well, Champions League. I again. don't get it. And the title. What, what, why Even can't he like manage them? Why can't he stand on the such? It's disrespectful to his kids as well. He's going on holiday, surely. He's yeah. obviously got something booked, hasn't really, he? Really, really good holiday. He's got something booked, and he's promised his wife that he's going to be around that weekend. Yeah, but life is about balance. We've seen that life can be very short. It's just stupid. He's already been I love Jurgen Klopp. I mean, they wouldn't let him they wouldn't let them move that fixture in the league cup, which is one thing that might have annoyed him a little bit. And I wonder how much of it is he's going, uh, right, well, you're not going to do anything to help us. So if you told us to take a break, it's I'll do exactly that. what you say. I'll do exactly what you say. There you go, no manager. Now look how valuable your competition is. It's clearly that. Um, well, what's better, doing that or getting sent off so that you're not allowed to be on the touchline? I think doing what he's doing is quite funny. Who's done that? Well, this is what we're doing here today. <laughs> when, we want, when we want a holiday. A, ta- I, a tactical sending. Look, I've got to play the kids and I'm with him on his fixture complaints. I think he's he's banging the right drum on that. 
Yeah. But and there's no he, reason why he can't manage the kids himself. It's ridiculous. Hassan Huttel said something similar about, like, it's it's really not fair that we have to do this. And I agree with them, like, especially for Hassan Huttel's even worse, you know. And I just think everyone's like, oh, well, this is what squads are for. And I'm like, no, I think it's a ridiculous amount of games that you're asking these people to, to give. And at the end of the day, I know Klopp's not actually running themselves, but he's wasting more or, or submitting more mental energy than anyone else. And he can't keep doing this all the time without a single break. He's also a human. That's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> We're never going to agree on this, are we? And, no. why, and why can't Neil, his you know, backup, Neil Critchley, is it? Yeah. Why can't he have a chance to do something? Well, he's going to get a chance. Yeah, well, he, then he maybe, maybe then eventually they'll have the guy who replaces Jürgen Klopp. Oh, just... And this coming from the man who hates the FA Cup. Yeah. And I don't hate the FA Cup. I don't hate the FA Cup. That's not fair. Oh, don't, don't care about it then. What, what what is the it, early yeah. rounds, I'm a little bit ambivalent towards it. Mm. Mm. What about replays and the scrapping of them? Can we find some consensus in this room about that topic? I, you wouldn't want to scrap replay, surely, after seeing the excitement of the Shrewsbury fans on the pitch last night and Gary Lineker giving them a view of the cup and everything. It was delightful. But if they couldn't straight penalties, they might have gone straight through and they'd be in the fifth round to get a big, I think it's at least 180 grand you get straight for that. It's and less than get from going to Anfield and splitting the gate though, isn't it? I'm not sure how much they get for that, but likelihood that would be probably televised they've said, a good game before, haven't they th- there was an interview with them at the weekend where they said that if they do get a replay it'll pay for a whole analytics yeah, it's, it's all like the a video analysis like for their plumbing. training yeah, yeah it's, a lo- it's a lot of payment but to be honest if you ask like a lot of these Premier League clubs would you, would you be willing to just pay a certain amount of money and get out of it I think they'd do it you know um, this is the only annoying thing about all these replays is all, it's a fairy tale to a lot of those smaller teams but for the big sides when, you're, when you do have your under 23 players playing and others just not really caring. Is it really a fairy tale? Can you really walk around and say, yeah, I've beaten Liverpool at Anfield or like I beat their kids? At the end of the day, football clubs like Shrewsbury shouldn't have to be reliant on the luck of a draw and a replay to be able to pay for that. The distribution of wealth should be even enough that Shrewsbury can do that. And that is the actual problem. Mm. So clubs shouldn't have to think, oh, if we get a replay, we'll be able to carry on being alive for two more years or we can buy this or buy that. They've got to sort out the distribution of wealth. It's ridiculous. The FA Cup prize money should be far more level. The winners don't need the prize money they get. Man City don't need the prize money. Um, That's the real issue on that. But, you know, you can't help but, you know, be pleased for Shrewsbury to have their day and all those fans to go to Anfield, albeit Jurgen Klopp's going to completely mug them off by the sounds of it. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Liverpool reflect that in the ticket prices, by the way. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's a massive issue. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Mm. Although, to be honest, but then the more t- the more the expensive it is, the more, tram- uh, sorry, the more that, that Shrewsbury get. Right? Because they're going to split the gate. True. I mean, the big money comes from TV. Like, they all made a heap of money yesterday from... Being on the TV, I assume they'll be on telly again. And as well. yeah, exactly, yeah. and that's where your real money comes from in these these rounds. That's the the game changing kind of kind of stuff. Great news for anyone in the Shrewsbury area who sees a big future in analysing football. What about Manchester United? A little bit of relief for them after a tricky time, to uh, put it very kindly indeed. Um, they played Tranmere on a uh, extremely muddy pitch. Um, seems strange to me, Matt, that Tranmere were playing their fourth round match three days after their third round replay. And we didn't hear any complaints from them, did we? Whereas, you know, lots of fair play to them didn't moan or use that as an excuse or whatever. By the way, that pitch is Liverpool ladies' full-time pitch, which is a complete disgrace. How Liverpool Football Club can allow their ladies and think that that's appropriate for them to be playing on that pitch 
doesn't strike me as a very good thing whatsoever. But that's a completely different point. Sorry. If, if I was honestly, if I was one of the Manchester United players and I saw that pitch, I'd be like, no, I'm not playing. Sorry. I'm not going to risk an injury. Well, so if you're Jurgen Klopp, you wouldn't bother managing. And if you're a Man United player... Yeah, you, which is good to show you exactly what my... You'd you know. be a very lazy footballer <laughs> or football <manager>. And hence <laughs> why I never went into sport. You're in your gym gear this morning as well. And I am in my gym gear. <laughs> Yeah, but you also love holidays, Mina. That's the important that thing to remember. True. Didn't really seem to affect them, JJ. The pitch, um, clearly nope. an argument that they should let Old Trafford degrade even further and just get uh, <laughs> down to the level of Prenton Park. Exactly. Um, it could be like a crazy golf. You yeah. could have the stadium <laughs> half on the floor and stuff. There's, there is an increasing sense that the fans are furious. There's some pretty horrible songs being sung about Ed Woodward. I have some sympathy for fury about Ed Woodward and what he's done uh, there, but not necessarily um, the violence in those songs. Do you think there's anything the fans can do to affect any proper change at Manchester United? The golden green brigades seem to die a slow death several years ago now. Yeah. But what can the fans do to actually get something changed at Old Trafford? Uh, nothing. They are customers and they, they are the symbol of what has happened to that top end of football where people say like, our club, we want our club back. So what do you mean? First of all, you're not from Manchester. You're not involved in the club in any way other than giving them your money and you watch them on the TV. It's not your club. It's the people who bought it, the Glazers, who have a lot of debt and they are the ones who are wanting to make sure that their share price stays high. And they do that by having a really competent guy in Ed Woodward who knows how to bring money in but isn't very good at the football side of it. And eventually it might catch up with them. But as a fan, I don't know what you can do other than you could say things like, don't go to the games, don't give them the money. But that's not where the money really comes from, is it? It's from TV. Slightly harsh on United fans, I feel. I think there's a proper... What can you a do? A proper good following in Manchester who support Manchester. I mean, they've got fantastic oh, away fans. I'm not seeing all of those. I mean, not all United fans aren't like, from yeah. Manchester. And the, uh, there are real genuine fans. And just because you're from somewhere else does not mean you're not a real fan. But my point there is not... It's come across maybe it's not quite how I meant it, but you're not... Like, you are a customer at the moment if you support one of these big clubs yeah. rather than a fan. And the fan, like, Edward was not saying, oh, God, the fans don't like me. He's thinking, well, the fans don't like me. This kind of this is awful. How do I fix myself so that I keep my job, not, like, how do I make the club better, if that makes sense? Well, I don't even I... mind if he's if he thinks of the first thing, if he thinks of, like, me trying to fix myself. Or, I mean, if you are being sort of put with all of this people are now asking for your death you know like this is getting a little bit tragic situation the situation is getting awful mm. you are falling down then look at yourself and look at what's around you and choose who you're who you're surrounding yourself by he's chosen to surround himself by matt judge you know another corporate banker um and n- not as successful as he was either you know i mean i don't he worked for namora but he's bounced around a lot in the corporate banking world you know you bring in a guy who doesn't really necessarily have the football experience to help negotiate these great deals for, for certain players to pay Alexis Sanchez the ridiculous amounts of money that you've paid to pay for Maguire or the you know a lot of money whether that's panned out or not you know it's it's anyone else's judgment but it's so much money being spent and you would ex- you would you would think that if you are Ed Woodward and you're thinking to yourself everyone keeps telling me I need to bring in a sporting director oh let me bring another corporate banker that I've had now since you know he's been in the club I think since 2012 moved over to 2016 for negotiating deals. Why? Why not surround yourself by football people and try to help your case moving forward? Because the further you continue to lose, the more money you're going to lose on a commercial level as well. So as a, even as a banker, this isn't making sense. I think it's important for the United fans to protest and have their voice. I agree. They might not be able to change things directly themselves, but them doing that and doing it in the right way, should I say, not these songs yeah. that we've been... T- mm. That is not yeah, the right that's way. Not nice. yeah. um, 
But doing it in the right way keeps an attention and a focus on it and does encourage the media to to look into things. It, it does. I mean, if if you never hear any disquiet, then even good journalists will not go looking for it necessarily. When you know the fans are annoyed, when they're voicing it in the right way, when they're organising proper types of protests, is when people will scratch beneath the surface and that will put pressure on people. Whether it changes anything, maybe, maybe not. The level of change may be extremely small. Uh, at smaller clubs, obviously, it can be larger. But I do think it's important. I think that's right, um, actually. And it, I think a lot of it will be media-driven as opposed to fans. So the fans, if they're uh, discontented... But the fans can drive the media. Well, that's exactly yeah, that's it, yeah. Saying, so yeah. if... Uh, so that drives it, but then it's the media that causes the real change because mm. that's what will affect the share price and how Man United are perceived, uh, and how the Glazers can have that as one of you know that that's their big asset. So they, they want to make sure that it looks like a nice thing and it's not associated with anything horrible. But it seems so futile that you can do all these protests. I mean, Newcastle fans do their protests. It's not really made any you know difference. Still, Ashley's still there. I think they're just in a really difficult place and also everyone wants someone to blame and it seems like the blame has shifted from being Moyes and whatever now to Ed Woodward but also a bit of Solskjaer and just everyone so someone wants to blame someone for it going wrong and there's so many things that are wrong at that club that all seem to have started with that takeover with the Glazers Sticking on the topic of unhappy fans West Ham are having a pretty awful time of it at the moment out of the cup lost to Boiler FC West Bromwich Albion um you covered the pre-game uh, protests last week, Matt. What's the mood like among their fans at the moment? Oh, really bad. I think it could properly kick off there. Um, I mean, they play Liverpool on Wednesday night. They've got them Brighton, but then they've got Man City and Liverpool. And the way it's going, it, it's boiling over. It's getting towards the point where I didn't mean the boiling over. <laughs> um, I enjoyed some it. sort of joke. Um it's getting to the point where it was a bit like for that Burnley game a couple of years ago when people ran on the pitch and stuff. But, I mean, people are are getting to the stage where they want to do anything to show how unhappy they are and how furious they are. And I can understand it. I think it's a broken club. I really do. I've thought this for a very long time. I think it's a completely broken club. I think the owners there ruined the club. They ruined what the club was about with the move. They've continued to ruin it with the way they've approached the move and with the way they've approached various different other things. It's such folly to promise as much as they did, isn't it? That is just a guarantee. With a club like West Ham saying, we're going to get in the Champions League. It's, it's perhaps, a ridiculous... not quite that overtly, but that was basically the promise and you're just setting yourself up for such... It's like, a ridiculous promise. And I think... I know loads of West Ham fans. a ridiculous promise and I don't think many West Ham fans actually thought they were going to qualify for the Champions League. But what I did think is that they thought, okay we're getting some sort of guarantee that we're going to make a proper push to become a better, bigger club from the stage. This is the deal. We're giving up our home. We're giving up our spiritual home. We're going to make a proper push. Probably won't actually result in the Champions League, but, you know, top eight, top six, some good cup runs. They've had none of it. And they've not made a proper push. They've still got awful, awful training ground with temporary buildings everywhere, which is Worse than most championships. Well, Slaven Bilic sort of said that was by design when he was yeah, I did read Bird, that. didn't he, last week? That, that did make me laugh. Yeah, he wanted it a bit uh, Spartan because players <laughs> are here to work. It's certainly Spartan. <laughs> um, they've got no scouting network whatsoever. Their annual spend is up by about net 10 million a year, which only actually constitutes the 40 million they brought in from selling Upton Park. So they've not committed fast sums of money to it. So they've not actually, there's nothing tangible 
that they have done that says to fans, we are genuinely trying to improve. They've signed players. They've also sold players and let players go. They haven't actually shown any intent or built any infrastructure whatsoever. The tenants in their stadium, they've got terrible training ground. They've got players who, other than Mark Noble and a couple of others, don't really care about the club, all coming in for a paycheck. There's nothing there anymore. So, I, pretty I, gloomy. <laughs> I just, I know this sounds like a just a devil's advocate kind of question. I said, if you are coming in as... Is it just about building the infrastructure? Because they thought to themselves, we're moving to a bigger stadium that might give us more of a, I don't know, like a prestigious move forward um they looked at buying in you know bigger players sort of ones that are known for creativity a little bit more flair they thought of bringing in you know manuel pellegrini who'd already won something with manchester city who's got a big name obviously dealt with real madrid i mean all these things don't you think that for them that that was their first step of being like this is how we're going to improve or do you think they needed to have done all those things in the background first before moving to that? They needed to have done them in the background or at the same time. I don't buy that any of the players that they've signed wouldn't have signed for them at Upton Park. They've, they've got a history of signing flair, yeah. kind of sexy, as it were, players. They, they did that when they were at Upton Park. I don't think any of those players would have turned around and said, oh, we're not signing because you're at Upton Park. They're not that big of players. They all came with a, a point to prove or doubts around them or players who needed the West Ham move to try and get another move. Pellegrini was on his way down. And also the money that they have spent, they're just spending in the wrong places. But it just kind of seems like there are some clubs, you know, where you're taught that, you know, great management and, you know, stability and all of these things make a difference. And then you look at someone like, or a club like Chelsea who change their coach all the time, where, you know, you don't know whether the owner wants to stick around or not. And they always win, right? But Well, Chelsea got a world-class training facility. They've got a world-class academy. They've got... Massive. Now, West Ham aren't just going to magic that out of thin air, but Chelsea have already got their infrastructure. One of the first things Roman Abramovich did when he took over Chelsea was Is build that, Cobham yeah. training ground and build that academy. Well, United have that. Burnley have it. <laughs> but Burnley, Burnley are a great case. When Burnley first came up to Premier League with Sean Dyche, they got relegated immediately. They didn't spend any of the money they'd made from the Premier League on any players. They didn't buy anyone. They spent it on like a £100 million training ground. Their training ground's amazing. And that's been massive for them. They've is that got the difference between winning? It's, no, but it, it it shows you that building an infrastructure is necessary if you're going to progress a football club. Yeah, especially because I mean the players, the young players you can bring through, which you could either then sell on or you bring them through into your first team to make sure you've got some sort of part of your culture within your club. So if you can impose the club's culture in the youth players when they come through, you've naturally got one in there who will play as you want them to on the pitch. And West Ham, the, the move to the Olympic Stadium, although it made sense financially, has ripped all of the... What There's West no Ham culture there. Exactly. Nothing there. So now they've turned it into this corporate shopping centre kind of place <laughs> where families can go and have a nice day out, but no one wants to go. And West Ham, I'm sure it's a lovely family club, but it's you know they've got the, their traditional fans who want to go Half and make the, a lot look, of noise. And you it's go not now, the same thing. You go now, you've got... I, I suspect they, they sell out every game, but I, I would just have a wild guess that at least 10,000 people in there are neutral, not supporting anyone. Yeah. I've got a mate who I bumped into yesterday on Sunday who said that he went to the game with a West Brom fan. I said, oh, it must have been amazing, the West Brom end. He said, yeah, we couldn't get tickets for the West Brom end. We just got tickets in the home end. They're worried that the Liverpool game on Wednesday night that there'll be thousands of Liverpool fans in the home end because it's so easy to get tickets. And you, you get a sense of it when you're in there. There are loads of people there. And it, on one hand... It's good. Families get to go and watch football. I live locally to there. You know, when my kids grow up, if I ever want to take them to a football match, I'll be able to take them there easily and relatively cheaply. But it's killed any atmosphere or any yeah. soul. There's so many people in there just sort of on a day out. 
Got to go to Orient instead, Matt. Orient's a great day out. Definitely do yeah. that. Right, I've got a big statement for you. This has been the worst transfer window ever. Is anything going to happen this week, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... I, the, trans, the transfer window should just be a week long because everyone just waits till the last week anyway because it's all like everybody stand off, stand off. Oh, we don't want to sell in case they don't sell. And, blah, 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 blah. and then the last week, everything starts to happen. I'm not saying it's going to be the most exciting week in the world, but it will start to happen. And that's why I've always thought the transfer window should just be a week to get rid of can, all can the... Can you give us a clue of what's exciting? Well, a lot of the clubs... Down, I mean, West Ham, for instance, are going to have to... They need two or three players. They've got to, otherwise they'll go down. And they will. Whether they get quality players, I don't know, but they will. Tottenham will definitely do some business. There's the winger from PSV. I can't say his name. Begins with a B. Yeah. yeah. No, Van Berwin. They're no? signing him. Mm. Um, they'll get... A striker in as well. I hope they get uh, Piontek. Do you? Mm. Um, I really do like him. I know he hasn't had a good season. I, I haven't watched him. I've only like sort sort of seen his incredible record last year. Where's he at the moment? AC Milan. He's yeah. So he started off like on a ridiculous level at Genoa, moved to AC Milan, and continued doing really well for them as well. This season, he just didn't train well in the summer. And to be honest, it's just been such a disaster at Milan that he hasn't. I guess, really been able to shine. But he has, I think, all the characteristics that you would want from a striker in the Premier League, I think. Maybe, I mean, I thought he was very good in Serie A, but if you can score those goals in Serie A, then I think you can score them with a bit more space. But so yeah, I do, quickly, yeah, I do think things will happen. I think Piontek will end up in the Premier League, by the way. There's so many clubs who want a striker and he seems to be kind the of one. offering himself million. around. Yeah, you wonder whether that will change in the last few days in terms of whether a club could do a alone with a obligation to buy or whatever. They're with fine with that thing. as long as they make sure that they get some money from it yeah. because they paid a lot. Ericsson's gone. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah, Jose Mourinho wasn't very happy about that, um, criticising Inter for signing him late in the window, which seemed slightly odd. Well, given Daniel Levy's uh, transfer st- strategy, who loves signing players late in the window. Yeah, but he did it. I'm, I'm really sorry, but to get 20 million is really good. Yeah, like, for a player I mean, out of contract this summer. <laughs> I yeah, think it's an amazing negotiation. I'm struggling with that one because a, a year or 18 months ago, they could have got double, maybe treble that. They didn't. In the meantime, he's played like a drain because he's wanted to le- leave. <laughs> <laughs> and they've had to carry on pay- paying him for that amount of time. Mm. Mm. So I think they've left a lot of money on the table. What's Conte up to uh, into uh Mina, because he signed Ashley Young and Victor Moses. Is his strategy to build a team that can do very well on Football Manager 2009? <laughs> Basically. Um, it's actually a little bit, it's quite funny in Italy at the moment because, you know, Asimo's getting older, so he's getting injured. So they thought the best thing to do is bring in Ashley Young. And it's like a player that's <laughs> older than Asimo. But sure, like that makes sense. Although I have to say he delivered an assist in, uh, in his uh, debut game, um, even though they didn't manage winning. Um, it's a really interesting one because Conte just seems to be having like a little bit of a nightmare at the moment because they've had three draws in a, in a row. He keeps talking about the fact that it needs squad depth. And one thing he always says is, listen, I need my team to run at 200 kilometers per hour. And we don't have, we're not basically good enough to not do that. We don't have the experience. And I'm thinking to myself, you have Lautaro Martinez, who's the most coveted uh, forward and the, one of the most. Uh, Barcelona's after him at least 100 million. Lukaku's 80 million. You've got two of the best centre-backs in the world. And, cl- and then if we also add to that, Godin from 
Atletico Madrid, who is a, a, a former captain, one of the most highly rated guys. You're talking about Candreva, who's gone and played with Italy at the highest level. You've got Samir Handanovic, one of the best goalkeepers, like Brozovic, who reached the 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 World Cup final like what more do you want if you're making all these guys run at 200 kilometers per hour and then you keep going for older men you know like it just all seems a little bit very like Giroud was the other striker that he wanted to bring in so the whole thing just doesn't seem to really make sense because it's like okay we'll buy you players but if you're just going to make them run at 200 kilometers per hour you just basically need high fitness levels you don't really need I think it makes sense because like so the reason he's got those in because he used to play with them well not young but you know Young is a player who can work on both sides. But Victor Moses, for example... He, he worked with him, not played with him. Yeah. Um, Victor Moses is a great player. Moses uh, he worked with, but he didn't work with Young. Well, he, when I say he was a great player, he was a great player under Conte at Chelsea when he was that wing-back. And I think how important wing-backs were at Conte's style of play. And he didn't really have much time to, to, Train to coach else. the system. And he needs to go straight away. And you can just drop Moses straight away. So basically, what, if I'm bringing in a coach, am I not at all thinking that I would like a long-term strategy in this? Because is it really that important to like just win every like you're out of the Champions League? Yeah, I mean, what young? Maybe eight, try to help like us build. Eighteen-month contract is all right, and uh, Moses is on loan, isn't he, for the rest of the season? I, I, listen, for me, the, the ones that have done really well for him are Barella and Sensi, and they are the really inexperienced young boys in the middle of the park. Mm. So my point is, is, why not continue to do that? Because they've taken to it really well. They've, they've provided the most value for money at the moment. They've been the summer, You though, have Lazaro on the left. I don't know why you're trying to get rid of him to bring in, you know, Victor Moses, basically. Like, I, I, it's not that I'm saying that, you know, Lazaro maybe needs a lot of work. I get that. But he's still young. Mm. He's still going to give you energy. Um the thing with Conte is is that it, it just seems like all he cares about is fitness levels and he's always coming out to complain about it. And and look, I, I you know he we, takes um he takes his eye off the ball in transfer windows as well. I'm a big fan of Conte, as I think we know. But yeah. if you look, his results at clubs do tend to drop in transfer windows. They had three draws in this transfer window. Mm. He there's a, a definite, definite big feeling at Chelsea. But he's not good in the that whenever the transfer window comes up, he loses it. He yeah. stops concentrating uh, yeah. on his actual squad. He concentrates too much on the fights he's having within the club and to try and get like certain players. And he loses sight of what he's actually doing. And have they fallen six points behind? Well, they only if Juventus won against Napoli, but they ended up losing. So right, right. now it's not so, so it's, bad it's for them. Three. But I mean, he he's lost ground in this time because he's putting too much into trying to get as many players as he can. And it, it does seem his downfall. He's a top, 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 top coach. Why? Why? Why would a top coach only ever want you to run it 500 kilometers? Everyone can well, win with a bench a that's full of stars. He clearly I is can a win top. with a bench full of stars. Not many coaches can turn around teams and squads like he can and get them. He has systems and things that he can make teams just start playing. He's proven yeah, it. He's proven for a, with for a selection with, of time, and then after that, you're that. dead. But his, his problem is when he takes his eye off the ball and goes, he needs to stop having these silly fights and stop losing it in transfer windows. Wait, he, he's requested these players because he's a big fan of everyone at Premier League, yeah. So he loves, like, you know, when he was at Juve, he's like, I want Lukaku, I want Theo Walcott. He only loves the Premier League players, yeah. And then they were like, okay, so now you've gotten a few players. What do you think is going to happen? He goes, well, it's not like I bought half of Real Madrid, is it? And it's like, you're still complaining. You've got the players that you requested and you're still complaining. And so at the end of the day, what are you trying to do? Overcome Ronaldo? It's hard, you know, unless we buy you Messi, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, I'm not I'm not arguing with that. But 
he's put pressure on himself, hasn't he? If he this doesn't is win, what I don't understand. It's like he gets so angry and then he ends up feeling like a victim. And then what ends up happening is that all the players start acting within sort of lashing out in, in in games. And like you saw in the in the game over the weekend, Lautaro Martinez, you know, they get a draw against Cagliari and he lashes out because it, it's they are so like hell-bent on winning every match because they feel all this pressure that Conte is putting them under. Sometimes it works out for certain players, but others who are young and who are feeling all of these emotions all the time end up doing things that perhaps are not befitting of them. We of, should probably reserve judgment though because if they win Serie A, which to, is entirely possible with Sadi in charge of Juventus. But you still have to praise him. If, if, he, if they go and win Serie A and these no, players... No, I'm not going to praise a guy who's got a, a front line of 180 million, sorry. Why? And, and two of the best centre-backs in the <laughs> world. He's winning win. Serie A. He, he's the only Italian coach to have been knocked out of the Champions League from the Serie A. That's poor. But if he wins Serie A, he'll definitely deserve praise. And if he doesn't, I think yeah, he'll well, deserve criticism now. But they because should I think certainly be challenging considering how much money they've spent. My point is, it's not like you know he's winning it with an Atalanta. No. But he wouldn't win it with an Atalanta. Well, I don't know. Atalanta scoring a ton. When did they last win Serie A? They're not going to win Serie A. (laughs) But they did score seven over the weekend. Let's return to the equally exciting topic of the League Cup semi-final second legs. JJ, any prospect do you think of a dramatic comeback for Manchester United against Manchester City, at Manchester City? Uh, I mean, they do tend to do... We know that they're better when they're um, out of possession and they can hit people in the counter-attack... But no, City <laughs> City will come through this okay, I think. They might have a little bit, it might end up like 1-1, something like that. But I think City have take it seriously enough that they'll be able to get through that all right. How are you feeling about Villa hosting <laughs> Leicester, Matt, one all on aggregate? I'm feeling good about that. But having been to the Manchester City 6-1 victory over Villa, I'm, I'm slightly wary of getting too excited about getting to the final. <laughs> And, and about what might happen to us at Wembley if we go. I look, the, the semi-final will be good. There's no real pressure on Villa, I don't think. Um, I think they've got every chance of getting through. Um, but yeah, I do fear what will then happen to us should we get through. Club like Villa, is there that feeling of like, we're desperate to get to Wembley? Oh, you've, yeah. You've been to Wembley pretty recently, you know, playoff finals, two playoff finals. And two the playoff FA finals, Cup, FA Cup okay. final go when we get done by Arsenal. I've been to two League Cup finals, 94 and 96. So, we'd, you know... Decent little runs in. Yeah, it's massive. The Villa fans are, are really up for, for getting to Wembley. It's a big, big deal. But I think it's a big deal without the pressure. Everyone's just finding it fun. It's a relief from the relegation battle. It's let's go and have a great day. I think there were a lot of fans after that Man City game. I, I heard them as I came out of Villa Park were kind of saying, mm, not going to be so great going to <laughs> Wembley and getting done over. <laughs> let's have some lovely music. It's time for a song for Europe. Mina. What about the boy Haaland? Five goals in under an hour of football for Borussia Dortmund. Early to say, obviously, but do you think we're looking at a kind of once-in-a-generation gener- talent here? It, I mean, a goal every 12 minutes in the Bundesliga. I mean, that is... It's a tidy rate. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine? Um, it's just the most incredible thing. And he looks like he's playing without any pressure. So comfortable. But I think... You know what's so interesting is that talent is so important, but but management of that is also important and managing your kids so that you know exactly what clubs to choose for them, where they can go so that they can really exploit their potential, what a league that suits their 
specific skills, a team that's allowing them to play often. I thought Mbappe was uh, managed very well by his parents, you know, the, the choices that they made, you know, like let's not go straight away to, you know, like throwing him in Real Madrid, but let's, you know, let's go for Monaco, then build up to PSG, which is, you know, he's Parisian. And it's the way that Haaland is being sort of managed by everyone around him. Like, let's go to Dortmund because they will play you. You are exactly what it is that they're missing. They've needed this type of striker for so long. And you can actually show them what's about because they are a side that create a lot of chances. It's just about having that striker that can give them what uh, he's giving them at the moment. And I think more than anything, it's the choices that he's made in his life, in addition to the ridiculous talent that he seems to have. Kike Setien, the new man in charge at Barcelona, they lost 2-0 to Valencia at the weekend. Seems like he's still finding his feet. What can you tell us about him, Mina? I think the thing is what Kike Setien is more importantly trying to do is he's obviously a Cruyff disciple. He's somebody who wants to have like 90% possession and he wants to play with as many players that he can who can just hold on to the ball what it does look like at the moment is it's a bit sterile um, and they don't really have the yet the understanding of how to do something with all this possession that they have Valencia didn't have hardly any of it but managed to create so many more actual chances um and I think this is just a, a step that they have to try to find. There is obviously a malaise in Barcelona. It's been a while since they've played that style of football, um, really probably since Pep Guardiola, to be honest, um, because Luis Enrique, even when they won the treble, were a lot more direct. So it's just about trying to find that uh, happy medium with him. But I don't think it's going to be easy. There were a few criticisms, even though they won of Ibiza with the kind of football that he was playing. But it is the Barcelona philosophy. They do want to stick with it. So let's see what happens. They're going to sign a striker, aren't they? Well, they, they need that. You you can see how much they're missing Luis Suarez at the moment because that is so important to their game and they need a striker. They really want Lautaro Martinez. They're not going to get him. So. Who else? Danny Ings. Danny Ings. Why not? Exactly. Why not? Why not? What about over in Italy? On the last episode, we were talking about Gennaro Gattuso having a tough time at Napoli. They beat Juve at the weekend. The AFC inverse curse. Sorry, Derby. Sorry, Derby. It really was that. It was interesting that Sally came out at the end and said, well, if we had to lose to a team, then I'm glad it was Napoli. It's like, oh, I shouldn't really be coming out to say that. But either way, I think it's really strange because a lot of people are very happy for Gattuso because no one likes the way that he sort of left Milan. He did actually leave himself but it was almost like he was forced out no one seemed to appreciate how much he did for that club and he doesn't necessarily have his own philosophy or this excruciating sense of tactics but he is doing the best that he can and yesterday you really felt like it was just a oh it's like that just relief for Napoli to have managed it against Juve Juve were woeful I have to say they were so slow they they didn't make take advantage of trying to cross the ball in Ronaldo still got a goal um, despite the fact that they were really hideous to watch to be honest and there is a part of them thinking well I think Inter got you know a draw we don't actually have to go far and do too much about with this but um, I do think this is going to be an interesting title challenge all the way to the end but uh, when's the next uh, Juve Inter match soon in February oh where's that one at uh, that will be at Juve Stadium That's so this will one. be uh, I wonder whether they'll be like you know handbags yeah that would be fun because Conte refused to speak to the media yesterday because he thought that uh, yeah when Martinez got sent off with a red card he was just like I'm not speaking to the media <laughs> oh he's brilliant he's oh, a great I don't just, uh, let's, not, I... let's not go back there let's <laughs> okay. reopen that box 
Finally, Sam Klukas channeled Emmanuel Adebayor on Saturday, running the length of the pitch to celebrate in front of Swansea fans after scoring for Stoke against his former club. JJ Ball, what is your favourite example of deliciously poor sportsmanship in football? <laughs> but before you say it, a couple of answers from our friends on social media. James G, who never wants to go to Ireland again, says, no contest, Thierry Henry's double handball against <laughs> Ireland in the World Cup qualifier. And at sports underscore guy 91 says, every Jamie Vardy goal celebration. Good nominations. What oh, have you got, JJ? that's a great shout. Yeah, I like Jamie Vardy's goal celebrations. I like when any... Um I like when players wind up the opposition fans when they've been taking stick all game long and then they get to go do something back. Chris Boyd, who uh, plays, <laughs> played for Kilmarnock, was uh, scored against Aberdeen and went up to them to and did his hand round his belly to symbolise that he is indeed a fat something uh, who eats all <laughs> of the pies. And that was really funny. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like this happens in Scotland. It's quite often. I really like it. I remember a guy called Rashid Bellabed once did keep you ups when uh, Aberdeen were beating Rangers. And uh, he got attacked for it. <laughs> it was great. How about you, Mina? Uh, Italy must be a hotbed for this kind of thing. Actually, it's quite respectful, to be really? honest. Um, but I think for me, it was, do you guys remember Arda Turan? Um, who's like, you know, the, the very fiery Turkish uh, player. When he was playing for Atletico Madrid against Barcelona, incidentally, the team he then moved to. And there was just this match, I think it was the Champions League, and he got really angry with the linesman and just took off his shoe and threw it at him. <laughs> that was like a quintessential moment of like madness. And everyone was like, oh, did the shoe fall off? I'm like, no, no, he's taken it off and thrown it at the linesman. But he didn't get as punished as I thought he would. Or anything really that Pepe's done at Real Madrid. <laughs> I shouldn't like this, but I used to quite like it when Mourinho used to go down the tunnel like 10 minutes before the end of the game <laughs> just because he decided the game was over and yeah. his team had already won. Because yeah. it used to send people mad. He did it at Villa once and it sent Lambert and Roy Keane absolutely nuts. You could tell Roy Keane just wanted to run down the tunnel after him. <laughs> but it wound him up so much it was funny. Yes, yes. That Jamie Vardy one's a great shout though. His, mm. uh, his flapping wing celebration at the Crystal Palace fans this season was yeah. magnificent. Done with extreme sarcasm. <laughs> well done at sports underscore guy 91. You've won the podcast. That's all for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you like. My name on there is my name in real life. Tom with an H. Gibbs. Won't be here next week, but Mina Rizuki will be sitting in this chair for me doing her excellent work. Send us both an email. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address you need. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club. You can just look for the words Audio Football Club on the internet and take it from there. Absolutely backing you to do the necessary. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.